Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence with John Paul Hampstead, our Director of Passport Research. Uh, we discuss what is currently happening in the freight markets and what is influencing them every week. Uh, and JP, you know, we've had, you know, kind of a lull in the market here over the last couple of weeks, I would say. Tender rejection rates sort of about hovering around this 24, 25% area. Spot rates, they came down slightly last week about a percent or so, but not, there's not a lot of movement in the market right now, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's been, there hasn't been a lot of movement in terms of uh, volumes up or down, capacity tightening, loosening, rates up or down. But what we have seen is at almost a frenetic pace is, are people in the market, both shippers, transportation providers, intermediaries, making adjustments and plans and scrambling to put together uh, their operations for Q4. And I think a lot of the things that they've been doing um, has been what's kind of put a lid on on the market and and allowed it to to be relatively calm, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, before peak season really gets going. Yeah, I mean, we say calm in a kind of a relative fashion, 24%. Tender rejections, that's that's still extremely high. Spot rates are still very high uh, right now relative to where they were this time last year. The market in a very different place right. th- thanks to COVID and, and all the things that come along with it. But, you know, when you talk about some of these changes, you know, we're seeing these tender rejection rates kind of, we, you know, we almost have like this lid on it, as you were mentioning, uh, around that 25% level, and it won't really bump over it. What are some of these changes that you think are influencing and keeping these rates at bay right now? Yeah, I think one of them is one of the the factors that's influencing that is really just you know how much freight do you need to reject to sort of optimize your if you're a carrier to to really you know drive asset utilization and yield in your fleet. That's one thing. Um, but in general, I mean, we've seen we know that shippers are raising contract rates. Um, you know, C.H. Robinson's earnings came out yesterday. Uh, they said they had raised prices, quoted truckload prices, quoted to shippers by 10.5 percent year over year, um, which is you know pretty startling. Um, you know, didn't they kept truckload volume flat, mm-hmm. but they raised prices by 10 percent, which is an interesting move, I thought, on their part. Um, so we know that's happening, and of course, shippers are agreeing to higher contract prices because they really want to drive routing guide compliance. They want to try to you know ensure that they have some service, especially in this sort of you know what could be a critical quarter for them, depending on which industry they're in. So that's one thing. Another thing is that, um, you know, this year with the retail spending really driving uh, the truckload market, as opposed to, say, you know, oil and gas or some, you know, some other industrial sector, um, a lot of the the sort of the origin of these these waves of dis- tightness and, and rate increases and stuff has been your Southern California ports, Los Angeles and Long Beach, and what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. I mean, you know, the intermodal situation down there is has been really interesting. I mean, in 2019, nothing much was going on, right? Mm-hmm. Truckload capacity was so loose that intermodal rates were on the floor. Um, you could get containers really easily, uh, and the railroads were just focused on cutting headcount and shoring up their operating ratios. Totally different from the previous years. Totally different from <laughs> 17 and 18, when, right. and, and this year has been more like mm-hmm. 18, you know, from the right. intermodal perspective, right? right. So, and what, what does that mean? It means that um, they've, they've, they 
probably cut their headcount and their power too far. They had volumes inflect positive year over year, which then meant that um, they had to build longer and longer trains. They their, the schedules weren't where they needed to be. Uh, they had, you know there was lots of issues with um, having enough draymen to reposition containers. The ports themselves are clogged. But we're, we're starting to see evidence that they're kind of turning the corner on that situation. Um, intermodal tender rejections have come back down a lot. Um, and that's not like, that's not as crucial of, of a metric for intermodal as it is for a uh, truckload, just because right. of the way that most of the freight moves on intermodal is, is, is very stable and, you know, booked ahead of time. And it's not like people are sending tenders every right. five minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but it's still an important indicator. I mean, when, when t- intermodal tender rejections are like 18% in LA, you know that something is deeply wrong. Right. Right. And, and one of the things that, you know, is contributing to the tightness in the trucking capacity is the lack of availability on the rails, uh, especially in the long haul uh, sector. We've seen long haul volumes really surge this year uh, as, again, a lot of shippers are struggling to meet demand, unexpected demand. You know, they're adapting their supply chains to this new e-commerce uh, boom, or I guess a secondary e-commerce boom as it, as it stands. And uh, when they can't get it on the rail, it just leaves one other option, <laughs> and it has to go on the truck. Yeah, and what I think what's so interesting about the relationship between intermodal and truckload is that, you know, in a loose market, the relationship is not very, you know, they don't influence each other that much. Not as much, it, no. the, the, It's not as much spillover. It's not as much, you know, do I sacrifice, you know, transit time for money do, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make that calculation as much. But when things are hot... Um, when capacity is tight, then you see them kind of do this dance together. Right. Right. And that's been happening. And, you know, the, the, the best run of the railroads are increasingly conscious of customer service, which sounds like a crazy thing for a transportation company to say, (laughs) but, you know, they've recently, you know, for a long time, the service transportation board required them to report velocity and dwell times Mm -hmm. on a train by train level. But that doesn't actually affect the customer. Right. Right. Yeah, they don't um, really care. <laughs> they don't care how fast your train's moving yeah. if, you know, it doesn't leave on the day it's supposed to. They don't care what the terminal dwell time is because they don't even know how many terminals it's stopping at. Mm-hmm. Right. So they started, to enter, you know, first uh, Canadian National, then CSX, and then Union Pacific started creating these um, sort of on-time rates on the container level. Right. That would take like average on that would account for the all of the stops, mm-hmm. all of the legs of the trip that a container like, had to make. Just like a truckload company traditionally does. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically becoming an equivalent measure now. And you know, they're let's just say that like they got up into the ninety five ish percentile for on time, but that was I'd be curious to know what their standards of service are and who's determining whether or not something is on time or not. We always had a big trouble with this in the past is it's on time to us, but was it on time for the customer type thing? Right, 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 right. Like, was it checked in? Was it at the dog door? Yeah. Was it, um, was all the paperwork ready mm-hmm. at that moment? You know, and, and of course this, you know, for on the rail, it would be, is the container in the terminal? Is it, you know, is the container available to be picked up? Is it on route to the constant you know, 
who has it. Is it on a dray? You know, whatever. Yeah. Now, you know. But, but the, the point is just that the, the on-time rates have gone down to, like, I think it was 86% for um, CSX. I think it was 77% for Union Pacific. So, like, deeply, you know, like, like from the 90s to, like, the 80s and 70s. Right. In a matter of two quarters, really. Right. Well, so what do you think about this? So, rail is typically... You know, it has its peak season, just like the maritime industry, in roughly August through October-ish right. uh, period of time for about three months because that's when everybody imports their goods, brings them across the country, gets them into the D.C.s, ready to go for retail peak. Um, we're kind of exiting that period of time now. Uh, but we're still seeing extremely elevated maritime imports, like they're yeah. year over year wise. That has not slowed down at all. We still have a lot of concerns over whether or not inventories are actually going to be available uh, for a lot of goods out there that people are demanding. What do you think, you know, even though the rails are kind of getting their act together now, do you really think as we transition out of this long haul freight environment that it's going to have a big impact on the surface truckload side? Yeah, I mean... That, that's a great question because intermodal normally cools off well ahead of truckload, right? It's, it's, it's further upstream. Right. Um, I think that normally it's pretty, you know, d- like volumes are down a lot starting in December. Mm-hmm. Beginning of December, it's pretty much over. Right. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the truckload carriers are talking about elevated volumes um, through, you know, the end of the year. Like yeah. into, into Q1. I would assume that um, that would support intermodal. I mean, if, if that happens, uh, it's it's hard for me to, you know, see what you know December is <laughs> going to be like, much less January. That's another. Well, we one can of those. see we can see roughly four weeks into the future, uh, depending on some of these maritime indicators that we have in in sonar. Uh, yeah, with, the containers are going to keep coming. The, I mean, the containers that's, that's are, for sure. are coming down. It looks like the rest of the year. It's a pretty safe bet that the rest of the year is going to have strong demand uh, throughout it, and it doesn't appear to be slowing at the moment. Um, which would indicate that it will last into 2021. Normally, we would have seen some sort of trend develop or start to develop about a downward curve, and that just has not happened yet. No, not at all. Um, in fact, you know, I think they were up 9% year over year this, last week, yeah. um, in the, according to the AAR data. So, you know, the, the last thing I would just say is that it, there are signs that uh, trucking carriers are adding capacity. Mm-hmm. We're seeing um, more you know, growth in the number of total commercial vehicle insurance um, policies, you know, the sort of delta between new effectives and expiring, that's going up. It's been going up since um, September. It's now positive. So the industry's adding back small carriers. We've seen, you know, new truck orders start to recover, used truck prices firm up. We've seen some employment numbers that look a lot better than they did, say, in, mm-hmm. you know, the early part of the year. Right. Um, now, is that really is that, is that capacity going to come in? Is it going to be efficient? Is it going to be rationalized? Just because some owner op, you know, um, files, you know, gets their MC and gets insurance, does that mean that, you know, it's going to be easier for Walmart to move Black Friday freight? You know, I I don't know. Probably not, since that owner op is probably not, unless they enter into some sort of agreement with Walmart specifically, or, or a broker, is, yeah, right. That's that's working with them. Um, we, we're still seeing. You know the brokers I've talked to this week, um, doing a project on on power only brokerage and drop trailer brokerage. They're still seeing a lot of demand for those kinds of projects. It's and what's interesting is that it's not just the the shippers aren't just interested in you know lower detention costs or things like that. What they really care about now 
that, that those kinds of programs can offer them is they really want flexibility inside their facilities. They don't, you know, you think about it, there's a moment when the freight's ready to be loaded. There's right. a moment when the workers are ready to load the freight. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment when the truck is actually shown up. And right. if you're dependent on the truck showing up to do your job, then you're kind of at the mercy of the, the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, they really want the flexibility in managing their labor, managing their f- freight flows inside the four walls of the, their facilities. And that's becoming increasingly important in Q4 as they need to be able to respond faster and faster. So, um, interestingly, you know, I mean, Knight Swift is now a 30% uh, power only brokerage, mm-hmm. um, their logistics division. Uh, Arrive, I talked to, they've got a great um, drop trailer program that's now 20% of their volumes, drop trailer. Well, trailer investment is way up year over year, and it's, it's way higher than the Class 8 orders right now, which, again, much safer investment as well. Yeah, and you can mm-hmm. make your, I mean, you can make your drivers so much more productive, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Without, and, and, and really um, maximize their loaded miles and things like that without having to add a tractor, you just buy some more trailers. You get in with the right lanes, right, with the right yep. customer. And um, that can actually be a more rational way of getting to profitability, getting your OR down mm-hmm. than buying more trucks. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Now, there are pitfalls to this, such as you have to have a shipper that has the space for these trailers. Yeah. Uh, you have to have an agreement in place. And also, there's that whole getting the trailers back. Because normally, there's an imbalance coming out of certain areas and going back in. Those empty trailers are non-revenue moves and can really have a detrimental effect on your OR if you don't manage them appropriately. Yeah, and that's and it really like talking to these brokers. It was, it struck me how sophisticated they've become mm-hmm. when they implement these kinds of solutions. It mm-hmm. starts with like relationships, knowing the carrier's needs, mapping that against the shipper. They do a data science project actually to identify all the places where it can make sense. They go. They have to go to the locations, right. see where the trailers are going to be. Like it's a whole big thing and then the guy i was talking to at at, um arrive actually was saying that like you really have to stay on top of it for like the first like three months before you know and get Mm -hmm. it running like perfectly before you can say like okay it's it's good to go yeah and that i mean this obviously will have a you know if it's managed correctly it will allow the capacity to be a little bit more effectively managed uh in this time where we're seeing these yeah, and it, it gets and it gets these warehouses to, mm-hmm. and the DCs to mm-hmm. have more throughput, right? Yep. It allows the trucks to get in and out faster. It makes a lot of sense. What's crazy is that there are people who are still like trying to get these things up and running, like now. <laughs> well, we're running up on time for this week. Well, thank you so much, John Paul, for those insights. And be sure to download that Freightways TV app uh, and check out all of our podcasts and all of our episodes and keep you updated on what's going on in the freight market. Have a great week.